This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Hello everyone, my name is Michael Tran, Technical Services Consultant in the BT Technical Services team, a group of qualified individuals who can help you as advisors answer any technical advice strategy related queries you might have. In today's podcast, I'll touch on the recent indexation of some social security thresholds. Much like the changes to contribution thresholds from 1 July, there are also indexation provisions for many important social security figures. However, on the topic of superannuation changes, my colleague Matt Manning delivered a presentation on these changes uh, to contribution strategies during last week's fortnightly BT Academy webinar. In case you have missed this, you can watch this on demand on BT Academy. In this podcast, however, we'll be reviewing the changes to another pillar of Australia's retirement income system, and that is Social Security. We'll begin with some key uh, numbers that have not indexed on 1 July, primarily because the legislative provisions covering these figures don't apply indexation at the start of a financial year. For example, the rate of pension, such as the age pension, disability support pension, and carer's payment will not ordinarily index or change on 1 July unless legislation is amended. Instead, these rates of payments will index next on the 20th of September and then also on the 20th of March. The same applies for allowances like the job seeker payment rate, uh, which has remained the same as well since 1 July. On other common thresholds that have not changed, these will include income thresholds for the Commonwealth Seniors Healthcare Card, as well as the Low Income Healthcare Card Income Test Threshold. While the rates of common Social Security payments themselves have not changed, other important figures relating to these payments have. Thresholds which affect the means tests for these payments have indexed from 1 July due to the high rates of inflation, and as a, as a result, many of these figures have increased compared to last financial year by almost 8%. Increases to these thresholds may lead to your clients receiving a higher rate of payment, given the same level of assets and income that they may have held before 1 July, or for some clients who held means or assets and income above disqualifying limits prior to 1 July, they may suddenly find that they're potentially eligible, albeit for a small rate of payment. Remember, there can be many ancillary benefits for people receiving even a small rate of payment. For example, they may also be entitled to a pensioner concession card, which provides concessions on medicines listed on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, and holding such a card may entitle clients to state-based or private sector benefits such as discounts or rebates on energy bills and eligible services, something that could potentially help them with um, recent cost of living um, issues. Starting with the latest uh, asset test changes for pensions, such as the age pension, prior to 1 July, the disqualifying limit for asset tests for a single homeowner, or in other words, the level of assets a single homeowner client could hold before their age pension would be reduced to nil, was $634,750. This has increased by $21,750 to give us $656,500. For single non-homeowners, this was previously 859250 increasing by $39,250 to give us 898500 
For couples that are living together and are also homeowners, prior to 1 July, this the uh, disqualifying asset limit was $954,000 and has increased by $32,500 to give us $986,500 after 1 July. Uh, for couples who are living together but are non-homeowners, this was $1,178,500, increasing by $50,000 to $1,228,500. Clients who held assets above the pre-1 July upper thresholds but below the new post-1 July thresholds may suddenly and potentially be able to receive a small rate of pension. It won't just be the clients who hold assets just under these new upper thresholds that benefit from these indexation changes, but there have also been commensurate increases to the asset-free areas for each of these groups of clients as well. The asset-free areas are the amount of assets a client can hold in order to receive the maximum rate of pension, and for every $1,000 of assets above these limits, their rate of payment will reduce by $3 per fortnight. The new asset-free areas that have applied since 1 July are now for single homeowners, $301,750, uh, and then for non-homeowners, $543,750. For couples that are living together and are homeowners, this is now $451,500, and for those that are non-homeowners, this is $693,500 which if each of these thresholds increasing since before 1 July by the same dollar amount as the disqualifying limits compared to pre-1 July clients. Now, clients holding uh, assets below the upper thresholds down to these new asset-free areas may potentially see an indirect increase to their rate of pension. I stress this is a potential increase because recall, there are both an asset and income test that is applied to determine the rate of payment. Moving on to these income test changes for pensions. Now, prior to 1 July, the income-free area, or the level of income a client could earn before their age pension would start reducing, was $190 per fortnight for singles. And this is increased by $14 per fortnight to $204 per fortnight. For couples combined, this was $336 per fortnight and this is increased by $24 to $360 per fortnight after 1 July. Amounts a client earns above these thresholds will reduce the rate of payment by $0.50 cents per dollar over um, each fortnight. A flow-on effect from this is that the disqualifying income limits, or the maximum amount of income a client can earn to receive any rate of pension, have also increased to $2,300. $32 per fortnight for singles and $3,568 per fortnight for couples combined. Um, again, these numbers have increased by the same dollar amounts as the income-free areas. It's important to remember that these income thresholds only apply to accessible income from a social security law perspective, and there are rules that mean an amount that we would usually expect to be assessed may actually be exempt. A good example of this is employment or self-employment income for someone over age pension age. A work bonus can actually apply to exempt the first $300 per fortnight of this source of income from income testing, with any unused amount being able to be carried forward to reduce personal, uh, future personal exertion income. 
This is known as the Work Bonus Income Bank. And recent temporary measures have also boosted the amount of Work Bonus Income Bank by $4,000 for age pensioners since 1 December 2022. Separately, the definition of income can differ from a tax law perspective. For example, generally, it's the actual taxable income from personally held financial investments such as shares, cash and managed funds that we would usually take into account. However, we are not using the figures that you would see from a tax return when assessing the level of income for social security law purposes or determining the rate of in income support payments. Instead, a notional earnings rate is applied to the total value of these assets known as deeming. While the deeming rates have not changed after 1 July and are still 0.25% for amounts up to the deeming threshold and 2.25% for amounts in excess, um, we've also recently had commitment from the government that these will be frozen for two years from 1 July 2022. Um, while those rates have not changed, the threshold itself has changed after 1 July. For singles, this has increased to $60,400, and for couples, this has increased to $100,200. This means that given a financial asset total, the deemed income from the portfolio a client held before 1 July will be, will be deemed to earn a lower amount after 1 July. Combined with the increase in the income-free area, uh, they may be potentially receiving a higher rate of, rate of payment under the income test after these changes. Again, don't forget that when assessing the rate of payment, there are two tests that apply to, that is the income test as well as the assets test, and it's the harsher of these two results under both tests that determines the rate of payment. With all of these changes, we can see the interaction with, of uh, both these tests when trying to determine the answer to a common question received from advisors, which is how much in financial assets could a client hold before their rate of age pension starts reducing? For example, for a single homeowner client, we know the asset-free area after 1 July has increased to $301,750. However, they would only be able to hold a total of approximately $289,420 in financial assets before the deemed income from this total would equal to the income-free area, the new income-free area of $204 per fortnight after 1 July. Any additional amounts that they would hold in financial investments would cause the deemed income to exceed the income-free area, and this would reduce the rate of payment by 50 cents per dollar over each fortnight. And as the harsher of these two tests is what determines the rate of payment, the lower $289,420 figure is the limiting number. As non-homeowners have a higher asset-free area, the number of 289,420 in deemed financial investments also applies to them. We can contrast this to the case of a couple homeowner who after 1 July have an asset-free area of $451,500. If all these assets were held as financial investments, it would only calculate deemed income of under $314 per fortnight. Now, this is below the new income-free area for a couple of $360 per fortnight. So it's actually, in this instance, the assets test, which is the limiting test for the client. However, this actually changes if we were to look at a non-homeowner couple, as their asset-free area is far greater. 
it's actually $693,500. This is because they could actually hold financial assets of approximately $505,060 before the deemed income from this total would equal to the income-free area of $360 per fortnight for couples. So, so for a non-homeowner couple, the income test becomes the harsher test. These examples illustrate the complexity and the need to always consider both the assets and income tests when determining the rate of social security payments. Diving a bit deeper, we must also take into account that deeming rates currently set were done so at historical lows back in mid-2020 um, and locked in until 1 July 2024. Deeming rates are meant to reflect returns available to in the market to pensioners for a range of, in, of financial investments. And this may mean after the freeze finishes at the end of this financial year, deeming rates may increase and the amount of financial investments that can be held to receive the maximum rate of payment may materially fall. Issues such as this are what our team loves to discuss, not only in our fortnightly BT Academy webinar series, but also when we speak to advisors around strategy legis and legislation support when formulating advice for clients. Our next webinar will be BT Academy episode 80, Superannuation Conditions of Release with Tim Howard, taking place on Wednesday the 19th of July at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. In this session, Tim will explore the various ways a superannuation condition of release can be met, with an emphasis on preservation age and 60. You will also explore permanent incapacity and terminal illness, including considerations on, on how best to achieve the most tax-efficient outcome. To register, head to www.bt.com.au slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. Like all our webinars, the session will be available on demand if you can't join us live and all sessions are accredited for CPD purposes. In the meantime, uh, if you have any technical queries or questions, you can contact the BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or by email to technical at btfinancialgroup.com. Thanks for joining me and until next time, bye for now. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory, and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations, or needs.